Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, February 16th. What a weekend it has been for us here at Cracked Rackets. For me in particular, I had the time of my life in Champaign this past weekend enjoying the Division I Men's National Indoor Championships. Ultimately, it was North Carolina knocking off Baylor 4-1 to bring home the National Championship. They sweep both the men's and women's titles, and I think it's pretty safe to say those are your two best indoors teams for this 2021 college tennis season. Of course, we will recap all of the action at the men's indoors on our Great Shot podcast. Chris Hallioris, Matt Stokoic, going to be joining me over there. I believe that podcast should be released sometime on Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that wherever you listen to the Great Shot podcast feed. But of course, simultaneously to all of that college tennis action, and perhaps far more importantly to so many of you mini break listeners, we are now at the home stretch of our first Grand Slam of the 2021 season, the Australian Open action, heating up as we have the second half of the quarterfinals starting tonight. We will preview those matches matches later on, but of course, joining me on the podcast today to recap days eight and nine of the Australian Open. That's the back half of the fourth round, first half of the quarterfinals. You, of course, know him as the forefather of the forehand slice. Our crack rackets do everything. A former Denison men's tennis standout, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri State history, a record that is more than likely to stand, and of course, your pilot of this mini-break podcast over the past few days, filling in for me oh so admirably. It's James Foster McDonald. Jamie, welcome back to the mini-break podcast. How are you doing, my friend? Thank you, thank you. Hey, it's good to have you back. It was uh, it was fun to, to be with Matt Stokowiak. It was fun to be solo in its own way, although I can't say that talking to myself for 20 minutes, 25, 30 <laughs> minutes was the most fun thing in the world, but uh, here we are. It was worth it to break down the Australian Open, so uh, glad to have you back. Good, Good to be in the co-pilot seat. Well, I appreciate being with you as always, my friend. I will say the first six minutes of a solo pod, you're like, what am I doing? But then about like at minute seven, you're like, oh, wait, this is kind of cool. You're like, I kind of like the fact that I can go uninterrupted and just get into my monologue. Again, it was fun for me to hear you do the solo podcast. You know I uh, am finicky when it comes to all of our podcast stuff, and there's no one I would trust more than you to pilot the ship. So again, yes, thank you for doing that. And it's great to have uh, someone to talk about this Australian Open with because I have so many takes bundled up and it was funny I was in the broadcast booth and I got there and it was probably I don't know 820 825 before uh, the start of I want to say day three of our ITA national indoors and of course I was broadcasting for those of you who don't know with Mike Cation who usually does the USTA challenger play-by-plays someone I am fortunate enough to have the chance to work with now and what a blast that was again we'll talk about that more on the great shot podcast but 
I go to him and I'm like, oh man, did you see these Australian Open results last night? Like that Djokovic Rayonich finish was really exciting. He goes, Alex, Alex, like I cannot talk with you about tennis right now. He goes, that's too much. That's too much. Like you got to tone it down and you know. Whatever, to that sentence, but there is a lot of tennis to discuss. I understand why he, uh, you know, probably wanted to zone into our action for me. I've been watching from afar, and I know you've been following all of the action closely, so I want to ask you this question first. In terms of where we're at in the event, in terms of the players remaining in the draw, and believe me, we'll have a big Karatsev uh, discussion coming up later in this podcast, but it does feel like we have the right players remaining, and I know that's kind of, you know, self-explanatory, right? These are the players who won their matches, but it also feels like we have the players who have been playing the best throughout the course of the 10 days. Is that fair to you, Jamie? I think for the most part, um, yeah. I mean, look, obviously they, they won their matches for a reason. Some were, were blessed with some opponents having injuries. Some were blessed with just a good draw that opened up. But, yeah, I mean, look, for the most part, you know, we talk about on the men's side, top and bottom sandwiched by Djokovic and Nadal. I don't think anyone is shocked there, so we're not really shocked to see that in the slightest. On the women's side, you have some people we've talked about as favorites the whole time, Ash Barty and Osaka, Serena showing her good form here. It, it, again, not terribly surprising here and then you, you sprinkle in a couple surprise runs to the quarters or maybe even the semis in Karatsev's case on the men's side. But yeah, for the most part, I think we've got the right people here. Unfortunate, I think someone like a Sabalenka deserves to be deep in this tournament, but obviously had a really tight match with Serena. So no, long, long answer, but here's the short answer, yes. <laughs> That's fair. No, I, I completely agree with you. Sabalenka is a good example. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in our Deciding Point episode, which hopefully all of you went and watched on our YouTube channel. But, you know, that Muguruza-Osaka match, that could have been the final. And I think all of us would have been satisfied, right? Those were two players who are playing outstanding tennis who are near or at the top of the women's game. And, you know, to have that be, what was it, a fourth-round match that felt like highway robbery for us tennis fans. That being said, you look at, you know, there's always that one 18 to 24 year old who has the 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 five matches that she's just playing the best five matches uh you know that she can and in this case instead of it being a Mertens or a Sakari or you know someone like a Putin Seva or a Conteve this time it's just Carolina Mukova who's playing her best tennis and of course we want to talk about that match but I think the place we should start something we also talked about on the deciding point but can go into depth now here the performance of the American women, and in particular, Jessica Pagula, who has looked just so outstanding, Jamie, through the course of her time in Australia. Of course, you look at the win she had in the build-up to the fourth round. She knocked off Vika Azarenka first round. That was a 5-4 and four straight set win. 0-1 over Sam Stozer. Of course, Sam Stozer towards the end of her career, but anytime you can win a pro match 0-1, you're doing something right. She then knocks off Kiki Mladenovic 6-2, 6-1, and then knocks off number 5 seed Alina Svitolina to advance to the quarterfinals of this Australian Open. Jamie, you start to look at some of the numbers for Pegula in this match. She made 70% of her first serves. She made 60% of, uh, she won 67% of those first serve points, excuse me, won 56% of her second serve points. And just, I mean, the match was on her racket. I know Svitolina fought and clawed, and we can get into that, but it's the line drive power of Jessica Pegula. She is one of those special athletes who just seems to be able from the baseline to slug her way through any court and any opponent. 
Yeah, I mean, look, she has looked phenomenal, and she did the right things against Alina Svitolina. And and honestly, this match ended up being closer than it probably should have been. Svitolina did a great job of converting on the break points that she got. Pegula created even more. It creates 14 for herself, only converts four of those. I mean, that's enough to get it done in three. But Svitolina going three for seven there, that's just her, you know, being the great champion she is and scraping to stay in this match. Pegula, like you mentioned, it was on her racket, um, and, and she was dictating the pace of this match and how things went so no I, I could not agree with you more she's looked very very impressive you know we start at the very beginning we we had the potential for a run like this with uh, her win over Vika Azarenka and she has just continued to back it up so really excited for her clash with the 22 seed and fellow American Jen Brady next yeah. she's won over 65 percent of her first serve points in every one of the matches she's played she's won more importantly over 50 percent of her second serve points in every match she's played and you know the the biggest difference was she viewed the uh, the Svitolina, Pegula viewed the Svitolina second serve as almost a chance to hit a plus one ball. That ball would sit in her strike zone and Pegula, you know, would give herself some pretty comfortable margin but would play with such depth. And then from there, again, she's just driving the ball through the court, keeping Svitolina on her back foot. Now, of course, Svitolina, you know, for her to only have 25 unforced errors against 19 winners, that speaks to, as you mentioned, Svitolina just finding ways to win points. Points, right, making that extra ball that draws the Pegula shot in the net, or just you know keeping that ball low when Pegula would move forward. I think Pegula, although Pegula, twenty-one of twenty-nine at the net, she did a great job moving forward. Although I'm sure you know, I, I don't think that's exactly right because there were times when Pegula would look to move forward, and then Svitolina would kind of catch her by surprise in no man's land. But yeah, it was just. Pegula outplayed Svitolina. She outhit Svitolina. That was the most striking thing, right? It's not as though Svitolina played a poor match. I'm sure she would like some of those second serves back, but like she made 61% of her first serve. She won 69% of those first serve points. It was only minus six. Uh, you know, she only made it to the net nine times, but I think that just speaks to the fact Pegula had her on her back foot, and you look for Jessica Pegula now, who I think this is something like... I. I I think she's made like four or five, a crazy amount of success for her in Australia over the past few years. But you look for Pegula now over her last 52 weeks, how good she has been. Pegula now, I think something like 16 and 7 in her last 52, made the quarterfinal run at the Western and Southern, uh, made the round of 16 in the warm-up event leading up to this. Now this Australian Open quarterfinal She's the real deal, right? It makes sense that she's going to break into the top 50 with his this result and you know be in the mix to potentially be seated at slams later in the year because she's played that well the past year. Yeah, absolutely. And look, she's earned it, you know, not only in just the context of this tournament, but like you said, her entire body of work over the last, you know, six plus months has just been really impressive, especially when we get on a hard court, we see how comfortable she is. Look, in a matchup like this against Svitolina, we know that the bat the match for the most part is going to be on the racket of someone like Jess Pegula, just because of how she likes to dictate. It poses a very interesting question when she goes up against somebody like Brady, who likes to do similar things in, in terms of setting up points for themselves so I think that matchup is very interesting but yeah Pagula has just done such a good job of executing 
Yeah, I think it was a bad matchup for Svitolina, and I think mm-hmm. that's sometimes her problem at these Grand Slam events. Of course, she's got a couple semifinals to her name, but it's just, you know, the right player can hit her off the court, and on this day, Jessica Pegula was the right player. And so, again, I don't think it's indicative of anything worrisome with Svitolina. Jessica Pegula just outplayed her, and now she advances to the quarterfinals, whereas you mentioned she's going to take on Jennifer Brady, and we'll talk about that match towards the end of this podcast. But I want to now move to one of our other fourth round matches we had where, you know, I said it again, there's always that one under 25 year old who unexpectedly is going to make a run to the second week in the WTA game. That's just how many talented young players there are right now in women's tennis. And, you know, for this event, it's Carolina Mukova who follows up her win over Carolina Pliskova by knocking off Elisa Merton, 7-6-7-5 for Mukova now. She's beaten Ostapenko, Pliskova, and Mertens in this event. That's about as tough of a pathway to the quarterfinals as any player has faced. And again, what are the things that have worked so well for Carolina Mukova? In this match in particular, she's just playing high percentage tennis. She made 73% of her first serve. She won 67% of those points. She held Mertens to 29% on the Mertens second serve. She was, I think, 13 of 21 at the net, was an efficient 5 of 6 on her breakpoint chances. She did all the little things well. She targeted on the Elisa Mertens forehand, which, you know, Mertens can move around the court. It's the heavier of her two shots in terms of tops spin, but it's also the shot that will produce more errors. She just played a really sound tactical match, and that's for her to follow up the Pliskova win, and I think she went down an early break 4-1 in this Mertens first set. It was was a really good result for Mukova. Yeah, look, I mean, credit to her for getting through this one, but I mean, a lot of this for me, and and I don't want to bash too hard, especially someone like Mertens, who has been so solid and and was really, you know, a staple name of the 2020, you know, tour in air quotes there, because we didn't really get a full look at it. But this was just not a good performance from her. Um, You know, she kept it very close, as you mentioned, definitely had chances to stretch this to a third, if not be the front runner and win this thing. But, I mean, you mentioned it already, that win percentage on second serve, 29%. I know Mukova can step in and really, you know, put someone who's serving a weaker second serve on their back foot. But Mertens, you've got to make more adjustments, and you have to do something to protect your second serve a little better because that, that number is just not going to get it done at any level, let alone to get in the quarters of a slam. I just thought Mukova right now is fit as a fiddle as well. She's moving yeah. so well around the court. She's doing a really good job of opening up the inside-in forehand that she likes to hit with her inside-out forehand, with her cross-court backhand. She's done a really good job this tournament of just putting first serves in the court, playing plus-one tennis, and that's what she's going to have to do in her quarterfinal match against Ashley Barty tonight as well. But, no, I mean... It's tough for Mertens because you're right. She It's not quite Svitolina-esque. I don't think Mertens moves quite as well as Svitolina does around the court. I also think Mertens has a little more pop to her game than Svitolina, or just, a, I guess, a little more, it's a little more multidimensional the way she moves forward, the way she hits the ball down the line and will, you know, get after you and open up the court for herself at the same time. She doesn't have an overwhelming weapon either. There's no, you know, Serena serve or the Sabalenka or Rabakina ground stroke. She's not quite in that tier either. And so Mertens is going to continue to win so many matches throughout her professional career. But what does she do to make things easy for herself against the best of the best? I mean, as you mentioned, 7 of 24 on second serve points, that just shows if you can get her on her back foot, she's in a lot of trouble. And so that's, you know, 15 winners against 30 unforced errors. She started pressing 
a little bit towards the end, uh, did Mertens. But it's because Carolina Mukova did keep her on her back foot. I agree with you that for Mertens, the problem is a lot of people can replicate what Carolina Mukova did today. Just, you know, again, attack that second serve, serve to the forehand, play big to that wing. At the same time, I do think this perfor- this the scoreline has more to do with the confidence in the level of Carolina Mukova right now because it's not easy to do that to Mertens. No, and I think that's fair. I think that that's, that's the... The sort of Mertens the game there. Yeah, right, sure. exactly. And Mertens will ask that question of many players. The problem is Mukova answered all of them. Um, and so, yep. it, honestly, I think Mukova could have even stretched this out a little more if she didn't get down so early. You know, I think this scoreline yeah. is even, I don't know, I don't even think it's this tight, honestly, because she was simply the better player. But yeah, regardless, she moves on. Mertens, not a bad tournament, just a little bit of a disappointing result for me because I, I really thought she was going to be able to control this one a bit more. Well, it just felt like this was the match she wins to get to the yeah. quarterfinals. You're like, okay, now things open up for you. Now you get that big second-week run to start 2021, and you're off to the races. And that she didn't win this match, and that she had that big lead in the first set and just, just let it evaporate. And then, you know, Mukova at that point so confident she's able to carry her level through. Again, 6-5 and five is not a bad result, right? You look at the total points won, it's Mukova with 78, Mertens with 68. It's still an either-or match, but... Burton should have won that first set. She let the opportunity get away from her. There's absolutely no denying that. I agree. Uh, but, of course, again, it's going to be Mukova advancing now to face Ashley Barty. Ashley Barty knocks off uh, Shelby Rogers, 6-3, uh, in a match where, you know, it was slice and dice. She just kept the rhythm away, or kept Shelby Rogers uh, away from finding her rhythm. She just, you know, kept balls in the outer third. She changed directions as frequently as possible. As mentioned for Jess Pagula, she was a 6 one seven five. Winner, uh, excuse me, for Jennifer Brady. She was a 6175 winner over Donna Vekic to face Jessica Pegula now in the quarterfinal round. Of course, we also saw our our first half of the quarterfinal matches last night. They were relatively straightforward matches, so we don't have to talk too much about them. But Naomi Osaka, the number three seed, ends the run of Suwe C, a 6 2 6 2 win for Osaka, who in my opinion, is the best woman on a hard court right now in tennis, and it's not particularly... Well, I suppose it's particular. It's kind of close. We can get to that in a second. Uh, but And then Serena, the number 10 seed, knocks off number 2 seed. I can't believe I just introduced Serena Williams as the number 10 seed. You all know who Serena Williams is. She knocks off number 2 seeded Simona Halep, 6-3-6-3. Jamie, your thoughts on the rest of the women's results we have seen thus far? Yeah, I mean, look, good, good for Sue AC here getting to this point. Um, you know, you and I have talked to enough about her game off mic and to do what she did against some really high level players uh, congrats Uh, I I will say after she barely scraped out a win against Sarah Arani I was crossing her name out thinking she was not going any farther by no shot Uh, and she did so good for her she finds a way to scrap and you know when she's playing you know, players who give her a little bit of pace, she can make a lot happen with it. The problem is Osaka is just so solid, and she's not only pace. I mean, it's outrageous pace at times, and also she just has the ability to control points from start to finish. So there was not much of a chance in this track meet for Sue AC. Serena, the champion she is, a really fun match against Simona Halep. Again, this is one of those discussions where we talk about Halep not really having the goods to be able to dictate here. And even when she could, it's nowhere near the weaponry that someone like Serena possesses. So not surprised to see Serena get here. All she needed was a clean performance, and, and that's what she got. 
Yeah, the big number for Serena Williams, she won 77% of her first serve points. And the issue for her moving forward, she only won or only made 55% of those first serves. She was 8 of 21 on second serve points when Halep had the opportunity to, you know, get after a Serena Williams second serve, take control of the point. I thought Serena actually defended pretty well in this match, considering Simona Halep only hit nine winners in total, which is kind of crazy if you're Simona Halep. Like, how you are only hitting nine winners in a match? Uh, whatever we'll get to that that is what it is i suppose like come on come on Simone helps too good to hit only nine winners. yeah the two, like, that is the just, two seed is hitting nine winners and yeah yeah that's just that's just unacceptable we can all agree that's unacceptable we can all agree simona halep when she plays her best tennis is far better than that but it's also because serena williams took it to her because serena had her on her back foot and not with either the first or second serve return she was so precise with her targets and again she moved really well uh better than i thought she moved at any point during last Last year's New York stretch and you know during her matches at the French Open so yeah, I agree with you this was just a this was the performance you wanted to see from Serena Williams of course now I believe who does she face off with I believe she's got uh does she have Osaka next is that who's next for Serena Williams who's next she just knocked off Halp yeah I think Osaka yeah. will be her opponent in the semifinals it's a completely different beast because again Naomi Osaka has the firepower uh, that perhaps you know Simona Halep and some of Serena's earlier opponents in this tournament have lacked and so you know we'll preview that matchup I suppose when we get to tomorrow's podcast Let's switch gears now and talk about the men. And with all due respect to day eight's round of 16 matches, it was very, very straightforward for the top seeds. If you have anything, Jamie, you'd like to add about the straight set wins from Nadal or Medvedev over Fodini and McDonald, respectively, or, you know, the Rublev going up 6-2-7-6 before Kasparu Root retires, the Berrettini retirement, please feel free to. Um... But in general, I feel like, you know, I feel like we didn't learn too much from those fourth round matches. Yeah, I mean, look, Nadal, you know, he didn't actually look as solid as I expected him to. He gave Fognini quite a few chances. And look, we know that Fabio is very dangerous. And even in this matchup against Nadal, I think he kind of has the ability to get in his head. He's had crazy wins over him at big tournaments like Slams, the U.S. Open. And so I I think that's probably a little bit of dynamic of this match. But Nadal didn't look quite as solid as I expected him to. Now, once we got to that third set, he steamrolled them and he looked good and, and so that's what we expect from Rafa Nadal but the early goings of that match weren't quite as smooth as I expected from the two seed Medvedev cruising along good to see that there's really no residual effect from that weird five setter that he ended it with a 6-0 over Kranovich uh, Berrettini that's a real shame he was playing some great tennis and I would have loved to see that one play out um, but you know that said if, if you're a fan of the upset that definitely helps Sitsipas's chances going to be very fresh going up against Nadal Rublev did what we expected no surprises there so now again nothing shocking or terribly noteworthy out of these but just a few notes that are just you know some hums and yes basically from these matches that's about it yeah, the note for me is Mackie McDonald is a top 100 player, probably a top oh, yeah. 50 guy on hard courts. And right now he's up, I think, 56 ranking spots, back up to number 136. He's a guy who, what, tore, I think, completely tore his hamstring and missed so much of the 2019 season. And so to see him healthy again, moving as well as he does when it's on, you know, it just looks so beautiful for Mackie McDonald. He probably has one of the 10 most beautiful contact points in all of men's tennis. And I don't say that lightly. Like when he connects with the ball, his speed, his athleticism, he can, it's it's really, really fun to watch. But yeah, Medvedev's just a different level 
than him right now. And I think for Casper Ruud, he answered a lot of questions just in making this fourth round. We consistently ask how good can he do on a, you know, on a hard court or on a quicker surface when he can't run around and play that forehand and, you know, the point construction that you can have on clay that's not quite as available on hard courts because a big serve, big forehand kind of erases everything you're trying to do. Well, no, yeah, Casper Ruud's all-around game does translate to a hard court, particularly slow hard courts, but even here in Australia, I thought he played pretty well also. You know, Nadal's interesting. I'm going to save my thoughts on Nadal, Pass, all of them for our previews of tonight's uh, quarterfinal matches, but to your point, I agree that I haven't seen anything. Nadal hasn't dropped the set yet. But he still hasn't played his vintage Rafa Nadal match yet. Now, the worry if you're a Stefano Tsitsipas fan is that it's coming tonight against Tsitsipas and that this is when you wake the sleeping dragon is, all right, now it's quarterfinals. Now it's time for me to leave all of my kneecaps out on the court, and it's okay if I can't walk the next two weeks because it's go time here in this event. Uh, but again, we will talk about those guys when we preview today's ma- uh, tonight's matches. Let's talk about the quarterfinal results we saw yesterday, and let's start where we have to start. There was a whole hoopla on Twitter. I'm so happy I missed people getting angry at Nick McCarvel for not knowing who Aslan Karatsev is. And by the way, Nick McCarvel is one of the best in the business. You're a fool if you don't think that. You're also a fool if you think a guy who is working for you know the NBC Olympic channel, who is working for figure skating, who is working in all of these different events, has time to follow the challengers as closely as all of us tennis fanatics do. He is so exceptional at his job. Trust me. Like... Don't you're stupid if you think he isn't. Anyways, anyways, anyways. If you haven't heard of Aslan Karatsev, I will say a. You can go read about him. David Gertler wrote about him for our website CrackedRackets.com. B. Uh, you've certainly heard of him by now, as he earns another phenomenal win here at this Australian Open. You recap the scalps he has taken after knocking off uh, Jean-Luca Magier in the first round. He beat Igor Gerasimov 6-0, 6-1, 6-0 in round two. He beat Schwartzman 3-3-3 in round three, beats FAA in five in round four, and has now knocked off Grigor Dimitrov 2-6, 6-4, 6-1, 6-2, to advance to the semifinals. Not only is it his first career uh, Grand Slam semifinal, Jamie, it's his first career ATP Tour level semifinal, and it comes in just such outstanding fashion. Karatsev, I mean... We look at again the wins he, the way he's performed. You look at what he's done over his last fifty-two weeks for Karatsev. He's a guy who won four, or excuse me, who won two different challenger titles, but made four different challenger finals during the twenty twenty season. He's a guy who's now thirty-seven and seven in his last fifty-two weeks. It's all clicking for Karatsev right now, Jamie. In your mind, what works best in his game? Look, I mean, I think simply put, he's finding ways to win matches. And look, it looks so effortless in the first few rounds. I mean, we've talked about it again off mic, but the way he's been able to just play his first serve tennis, he, he bombs in a first serve and then can just dictate off of both wings really, really well. Um, once he takes that first step inside the court. And look, simply, he's just done a great job of executing that pretty much against every opponent. Um, And so it's been really fun to watch. His ability to just track down balls and turn defense to offense in one shot, something that we talk about uh, all the time with those top guys, He's he's just looked rock solid at it. Now, I will say this, last night... Um, you know, at least for the portion of the match before Dimitrov was very visibly injured and had to go over medical time out, everything like that, he was not the better player. 
Grigor Dimitrov was the better player in that match. Um, so it's a little bit unfortunate for me to see Karatsev advance in this fashion because uh, this was a good chance for Grigor and the back just let him down here. But Karatsev did a good job. When he was coming out of this match, coming out sort of in the first set, he was spraying balls. He got it a little bit more under control, saved a ton of break points in that second set. Um, so a, a credit to him there, although obviously some blame on Grigor. And then after that, I mean, it was really just the Dimitrov backstory. So a, a little bit of a bummer here. I don't consider this a true sort of match. I, in my mind, I kind of cut this off split sets after the first two. But hey, credit to Karatsev. Like I said, he's a survivor and he's scrapping and he's getting these matches done. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. I think Karatsev fought off like seven break points in that two-all game or whatever before he broke Dimitrov to take that break lead in the second set. And just, you know, you're right. Sets three, sets four, Dimitrov kind of fell off a little bit. But you look for Karatsev, he's 20-5 and five in hardcourt matches and 17-2 and two in clay matches. So it's happening across a couple of surfaces. You look again in his last 52 weeks, he has won 75.9% of his first serve points. And it's not like Aslan Karatsev is a 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", just big serving behemoth. But, I mean, the way his game, the way he sets everything up with that serve to play the plus one tennis, the way he's just swinging so freely right now. And you look in this match for Karatsev, you know, 34 winners against 44 unforced errors. But that just speaks to, again, he was playing to win. He was taking his chances. He was going for his shots. He was, you know, an efficient 10 of 16 at the net. He was, you know, 50, uh, 20, uh, I guess 20 of 35 on second serve return points against Dimitrov and... I mean, he's playing like a guy with nothing to lose. Now, of course, he also reported in his post-match press conference that he is a Russian Jew. I am also a Russian Jew, so I will also be rooting for Aslan Karatsev for the rest of time. And I just feel like that's a fun disclaimer for everyone to know. Why is he going for broke? That's what I guess we do. But, I mean, for Karatsev, I just... Is it a confidence thing? Is it like a, yeah, I can play like this, I suppose, when I feel I have nothing to lose? Or is this what we should expect from him moving forward? Because, again, with this result, Jamie, Karatsev now in the live rankings uh, all the way up to number 42, which is obviously a career high for the 27-year-old. It eclipses his previous career high, which he was at, of number 111 by significant leaps and bounds. We were talking beforehand. He's going to make about eight hundred grand before tax here at this event, which is sure to set him up for the rest of the season. And now that he's ranked in the top 50, you think, oh, well, he probably was expecting to go play challengers. Now he's not going to have to play another challenger probably for the rest of 2020, uh, 2021, excuse me. I mean, I don't know. When you think about Karatsev moving forward, what are your thoughts, Jamie? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, it's, it's just a matter of can he pull this off tournament after tournament? Uh, because right now, that, that you know, the answer to that question is simply no. And this is a great Cinderella run, and we love to see this. But, you know, it, it's hard to put any sort of pen to paper for future plans if, if we've only seen this at one tournament. I mean, you mentioned it. This is the first semi he's reached at any ATP tour-level event. And it's like, that's great that you did it at this stage. That's phenomenal stuff, and it's really impressive when you've through like you have. But 
at the same time, it's like, okay, well, are you going to show up at the 250s and the 500s and have this level, have this professionalism, has have this care, match in, match out? I mean, look, I don't know. Can the game translate? Absolutely. The way he's feeling right now, I mean, I think he just needs to be able to, to go to this point, go to this place and emulate that um, because he's just unfazed when he misses a ball, right? Even though he might show a, a little bit of emotion, even if he does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change his game plan. He's going right back there the next point. And, and I think that's what's been so difficult for players to play against him is even if they know what's coming, he's still just going to execute it. And even if he misses a ball by a foot, doesn't matter. The next time you know he's hitting a huge first serve and he's going for the ball um, off that plus one forehand. So, look, it's been great stuff from him. I, I think for me it's just a waiting game at this point. That's fair. And, um, look, you you talk about Karatsev, and, again, uh, we talked this is his first ATP-level semifinal, but you look just in total throughout his career, he's played 18 career ATP-level matches. And so, you know, considering he was running his way through the challenger circuit last season, for him to have this sort of success, I actually think this really does, uh, you know, preview and I think this show you know this bodes well for the rest of his season because the success was there the opportunities weren't um and I just or I suppose the success on court was there the ATP level competing opportunities were not well now he's going to have all of those opportunities so certainly he will have the chance to prove it my bet is that he is able to do it because to your point again this is a guy who's just playing some fearless tennis right now. This is a guy who has had success across multiple surfaces as well. I just think confidence is the one thing you cannot buy enough of in a season with as much uncertainty as 2021, and he's got that in spades. So, like, for your first ATP level showing to come out and make a semifinal of a slam, he's ready to go. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be really interesting now, you know, him matching up against Novak Djokovic. Obviously, you know, he's going to go in as a huge underdog. He was an, an underdog against Grigor, wasn't a massive underdog, but a, a, by a fair by a fair margin. Um, this one's going to be a whole different story. You know, you hope you don't see some of those nerves from him. I, I think you could tell he was pretty tight and not quite with it in the beginning of that FAA match, but he found it. Um, but look, if he gets down like that, I don't think he's going to be able to recover. I don't think someone like a Djokovic is going to let him back in a match like Felix did. So going to be interesting to see how he matches up there. But uh, yeah, I mean, for now, the first Russian in the semis is not the one we were expecting. No, absolutely not. And I will say, just quickly on the Grigor Dimitrov front, ugh, like this was the chance. Yeah, this hurts. Like this, yeah, this hurts, especially because he should have gone up a set and a break. And like, if he goes up a set and a break back probably feels a little bit better going into set number three and yeah. you just feel a little bit looser when you're up two sets to love and then maybe Karatsev is just kind of like you know what I've done what I have to do I can let this set go and I can leave Australia a happy man but none of that happens and once the flame is lit for Karatsev he just kind of you know Dimitrov kind of backhand sliced his way and he did a really good job of preventing Karatsev from finding rhythm but then yeah you could just tell he didn't have the goods in sets three and four and so as you mentioned Karatsev now going to match up with Novak Djokovic after Djokovic advances in four sets over he who should not be named Djokovic earning a 6-7-6-2-6-4-7-6 win now Lord Voldemort did have I believe a 4-1 lead in that third set of or maybe it was three love in the third and four one in the fourth but as he has all tournament long Djokovic just seems to be able to find solutions when it matters most the stats aren't the prettiest for Novak Djokovic in this match but again ultimately he gets the job done your thoughts on this quarterfinal yeah I mean look uh, Djokovic deserves to win this match first and foremost Um, I think 
the problem with the sixth seed right now is just not being a good front runner. Um, you know, that's just not something he has in his tool belt. Uh, and, you know, look, he can get leads and sets, but especially if he's playing against somebody like Djokovic, he's going to be in some trouble because he doesn't have the most confidence and the most experience of closing these things out. And, you know, every time he has results like this, I think it just gets a little bit harder for him because he thinks back to the most recent time, like, oh, man, I was up a break, couldn't serve through it. Um, and, and so, look, it's unfortunate. I think both of these guys did a really good job of, of serving and creating points off the first serve for themselves. I mean, you know, at one point, too, I, I was watching this in the early morning, and I was very surprised that at one point when they called it out, there were 30 38 total aces both had 19 now the match wasn't even over and I was like wow I mean that's 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 especially good stuff from Novak Djokovic you expect Zverev to hit a lot of aces with that big bombing serve of his but at this point Djokovic did what he needed to do um for Zverev obviously he's going to be disappointed I can't really say I'm too disappointed to wave goodbye to him um and, and this is probably one of the the first times I can remember that I was actively rooting for Djokovic in a match but it's good to see Djokovic get through this here um you know I, I, I can't I can't say I was worried after that first set but um you know you, you could feel Djokovic pick up the level after that first set and, and hence the 6-2 second set. So it's good to see this from Novak. And, and, and to me, you know, he's still just got to remain the favorite at this point coming out of the top anyway. Your fun fact via Jeff Sackman at Tennis Abstract. Novak Djokovic in this match hit 23 aces against Alex Zverev's 21. Novak Djokovic has four times in his career now hit over 20 aces. It happened in the 2013 Wimbledon semifinal against Delpo, the 2018 Wimbledon semifinal against Nadal, and then it happened last week against Tiafo and this week against Alex Zverev. I mean, yeah, Djokovic played big with his serve made 73% of them won 72% of his second uh, of his first serve points which he needed to do because Zverev was feasting on his second serve and you look for Lord Voldemort 45 winners against 38 unforced errors he built the leads he was looking for you know by winning set number one by going up big early in set three and set four but you're right he still can't hold on to a lead the second serves start to manifest themselves they start hanging up there in the wind he was 22 and 25 on those second serve points. He was, you know, three of 12 with his break point chances versus Djokovic's six of nine. And like, you know, 45 winners against 38 unforced errors. That's great. But Djokovic with 48 winners, 56 unforced errors was the more aggressive of the two. And that aggression was enough for him to get over the hump. And just, again, for the tall man, it's like, the skill set is always going to be there. It's so, so clear now. There's no more, is he going to make it to the second week of the Grand Slam? The tall man is in the second week of the Grand Slam now. What is that, four in a row, three in a row, whatever it may be? He lost to Sinner in the fourth round of the French Open, but I suppose that's four in a row now where he's gone fourth round or more. And because you have to be so freaking good to beat Alex Zverev in three out of five sets, but Novak Djokovic is so freaking good. You have to go and beat Novak Djokovic if you want to get him out out of a, of a Grand Slam event, and again, just Zverev didn't have the match chops to do it. Like, that's what it comes down to. It, I hate to say it, but it really, and I don't feel bad saying it anymore. That's probably the best part. It's like, the chops just aren't there. It's like, you're, he played so passive in those big moments, and it just keeps happening. Yeah, and, and look, this is this is something we've talked about with Zverev. I think it was most supremely evident in that Zverev team final at the U.S. Open, where it was just, when things get tight, what do they do? They lock up. 
Um, and it's something you have to work through. But yes, yeah, Zverev clearly has not worked all the way through it. And Djokovic did a great job of you know saying, hey, Zverev, you're going to let me dictate this match? Okay, I'm going to. Um, and, and realistically, I think there are multiple paths to victory for Djokovic. You know, he took the more aggressive stance, which is good. I think he also could have won this match by being a little bit more defensive. But look, if you have the ability to dictate and you're feeling good about it, don't risk it, right? And so Djokovic did a great job of executing. You mentioned it, very aggressive off the serve, and clearly it worked for him. So props to the number one seed, and, and now he matches up against Karatsev as a huge, huge favorite to get to the finals. Yeah, I mean, if you're Novak Djokovic, after being battle-tested the way you have been throughout this event, certainly you look at the Karatsev on paper, and you think, oh, thank God. But at the same time, all of us have seen Karatsev play, right? And it's just with the big serves and his confidence, he's got the huevos right now to be like, you know what? I'm just going to slam this forehand against Novak. And if it goes in, I'm winning today. But if I'm not, whatever. I made the semifinals. I have $800,000 in my pocket. He has the mindset you need to have when you're playing Novak Djokovic, which is I need to hit through him, which again, that sounds so stupid to say the way you beat Djokovic is hit through him. But that's why Federer and Del Potro I've been the guys in Stan Wawrinka who are able to beat Djokovic in that biggest stage is because they play unafraid. They say, look, I'm going for my shots, and if you beat me, congrats, you're Novak freaking Djokovic. And like Karatsev, at the very least, will have that mindset. That being said, like, yeah, no like Novak Djokovic is like let's go like I can't believe this is how my draw broke down yeah 100% he's he's smiling right now looking at this path to the finals and you know he's he's hoping for an easy cruise of a match now a consummate professional he's not going to expect it to be that way but he, eh. I mean he's pretty arrogant maybe publicly he is. he's not going to publicly expect yeah it. he's pretty arrogant he probably is expecting <laughs> it to be like that but regardless um I, I can't say he's horribly wrong because I do expect it to be one-way traffic there but look We've seen players test Djokovic all tournament. Tiafo did it. Fritz did it. Zverev did it. So no reason that Karatsev can't add a name to that list. But can he get over the hump? That remains the huge question. And, and that's always the huge question coming up against champion Novak Djokovic. And, of course, that will be our question on day 11. But we still have the second half of the quarterfinals to get through. And we have four outstanding Singles matches on our hands between the men's and women's flight. Let's start, of course, with the women's, as we always do. Uh, We've got an All-American battle, and then we've got a really fun battle. Uh, Of course, we've got Jennifer Brady taking on Jess Pegula. It was really fun for all those tennis fans to see them do a little bit of smack talk with one another uh, on the post-match camera, right? They wrote, I think Brady wrote, like, bring it on, Jess. And Pegula's like, let's go, Jennifer, uh, or whatever it may be. Anyways, that was not my best smack talk impression. I hope that's how they said it, is bring it on, Jess. And let's go, Jennifer, uh, Jessica. But anyways, um, yeah, look, that's a really fun matchup. You look at the DraftKings odds. It's minus 215 Jen Brady. That's essentially, it's pretty close to a toss-up. They think it's going to be close. You look for the other women's match, Ashley Barty, minus 480 over Carolina Mukova. That, of course, is a pick on the form of Barty, more so in my opinion, than anything against Mukova, who has looked so good. Again, her wins against Ostapenko, Pliskova, and now here uh, in the fourth round, she advances over uh, Elisa Mertens. That, that's as good a three wins as any player has in the tournament to get to this round. Your thoughts on today's women's matches? Yeah, I think, look, Ash Barty's a favorite for the reason. she, or The favorite for a reason, excuse me. She's just looked so solid, and, and her game style can just mess with so many players on the WTA side. And, and so I don't think Mukova is an exception to this rule. I, I think that Ash Barty is going to get her out of her rhythm. I, I think... 
Mukova was able to just sort of have her way and get you know striking balls and looking good, feeling good uh, against Elisa Mertens. She's not going to have that opportunity against Ash Barty. I don't think she's not going to be able to attack the serve in the same fashion. So I expect Ash Barty to roll here. Mukova, yeah, maybe she can make it close, but I, I don't expect this one to be a crazy competitive match at this point. Yeah, I just, after I saw Ash Barty slice and dice Shelby Rogers, I was just like, Shelby Rogers probably has a little bit more pop, but a little bit less, uh, a little bit less diversity in shot selection than Carolina Mukova. And so, like, do I think Mukova will be able to move the ball around against Ashley Barty? Yes, but you know where Ashley Barty thrives is in the outer thirds of the court is when things, you know, break the normal rhythm. I don't know if Mukova quite has the pop to hit through Barty the way you need to to break her down. I lean Barty, but again, if there's any sort of physical issues, Mukova is going to make you work. And so I do think that match could very well go three sets. I am leaning, though, towards Barty. I think the Pegula-Brady match, oh, and just by the way, quickly, for those of you curious, Ashley Barty, Carolina Mukova have played once before 2018 U.S. Open. Barty, a 6-3, 6-4 win on that occasion. You talk about four, uh, and but just for the record, Mukova 12-6 and six in her last 52. She's played some pretty good tennis of late, but, you know, I agree. I think Barty's the one to watch there. In the Brady-Pegula matchup, it's their second matchup in their pro career, second matchup since the tour restarted in August. Pegula knocked out Brady 7-6, 6-4 in her first round match at the Western and Southern Open in New York. Of course, Pegula went on to a run of the quarterfinals of that event. Brady subsequently reached the semifinals of the U.S. Open. In saying that, it's to prove, uh, it's to point out that by recent form, these are probably two of the top 20 women in the game right now, especially on a hard court. Pagula's been that good. She's bad. You know, it's not like fluky wins or she's benefited from a bunch of upsets throughout the draw. She is knocked off top-seeded players in Vika and Svitolina. And then Jen Brady, obviously, that serve, that forehand, about as good as it gets in the women's game. And so when you look at this one, Jamie, what are the things you'll be watching most closely? Yeah, I mean, well, you mentioned it. First of all, I mean, both of these players absolutely deserve to be here. I don't see either of these as like a fluke or a random streaky thing. And yeah, Pegula has come up with some great upsets, but you know, th- that's not coming off of nothing. That's supported by the strong, strong tennis we've seen from her over the last, you know, several months. So both players deserve to be here. I mean, at this point, to me, this is as close to a toss-up as you get. Um, you know, I, I, you know, when we're talking about Barty Mukova, I'm at least somewhat confident in my pick. I think Barty rolls in straights. This one, I mean. Phew, you asked me at different times of the day, and I'm leaning a different way. Before the pod, I would have told you Jen Brady for sure. The more that we've you know gone through with a fine-tooth comb and talked about Pagula, I have a hard time doubting her. I mean, this just screams three-set grind to me, but it's just going to come down to who is able to dictate better, right? And if, if one of them is having a better serving performance, that's going to make a huge difference in this because you know both of these players are, you know, they have strong service games, they have these abilities, but the second one gets a little bit of an opening, it just creates so much pressure because matches like these are, are defined by a very few moments, I guess you could say. And so to me, it's just going to be, all right, who can create those opportunities? Who's going to come up in the big moments and and honestly at this point I don't even have a pick for you if you make me pick (laughs) you know you can force my hand and I'll say a name but at this point it's it's as good as a coin flip for me 
Yeah, the big number for me is that for Jen Brady, she made only 53% of her first serves against Pegula at the Western Southern Open. She won only 58% of those first serve points. If we've learned anything about Jen Brady since then, it's that her first serve has the chance to be a dominant stroke in the women's game. If she, You know, that match was a 7-6-6-4 uh, match, but I do think Brady, the serve, the forehand are the two biggest weapons on the court. That being said, Pegula's got the ability to, you know, take a hanging second serve or take her plus one ball and, you know, drive the ball through Jennifer Brady as well. I do think this match is very much a toss-up. I do think this match probably features a tiebreaker and it probably goes the distance. I'm going to lead Brady just because I've seen her make a semifinal of a Grand Slam before and that familiarity is literally the only difference between the two right now. They really are both playing so well. And again, Jennifer Brady, a little bit more topspin heavy. Jessica Pegula, a little bit more line drive centric. Give me the top spin over the line drive, but just barely. Can't argue with just cannot barely. argue with yeah. that, brother. Love a good high heavy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not really high in Brady's case. High. It's just a little yeah. heavier. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's definitely heavy though, for sure. But all right, with that in mind, let's move on to the men's matches. And again, we can go through these quickly. I know we talked about them a bit earlier, but Andre Rublev taking on Daniil Medvedev. It's their fifth career professional matchup. Medvedev has yet to drop a set. In any of his four matches against Rublev, all of them have come on hard courts. Of course, they played in the quarterfinals of the 2020 U.S. Open. Medvedev, 7-6-6-3-7-6 victory. I believe Rublev had set points in that first set, so it has literally come about as close as you can get without actually winning a set against Medvedev, but has not yet done it thus far. Now, Andre Rublev's yet to drop a set. At this Australian Open, Medvedev's only dropped two. It was in the 1-3 set match he played earlier in the tournament against, I want to say it was Filip Krajinovic in that third round. Indeed, it was. Jamie, your thoughts on this one? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I mean, this is a ton of fun, and it's for some of the same reasons that we just talked about with Brady and Pegula. But, you know, for me, Medvedev and Rublev, you know, these guys know each other's games better than anyone. Um, and so they've been playing each other since they were kids. They've come up together. And so it's, it's a nice story. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I give the edge to Daniil Medvedev here. He was my pick to win the tournament uh, in the preview pod, and so I got it. Come on, at least stand by one of my convictions here. Can't be flip-flopping on everything, right? So I got to stand by <laughs> Daniil Medvedev here, the four seed, taking out Rublev. Rublev has looked really, really good. We know what we're going to get from him. I-, I think I just like the Medvedev dimension a little bit better because even if Rublev gets hot, yeah, he's going to win some big points, but Medvedev can track down balls. Medvedev can flip the script and turn defense into offense. I, I just like the creativity and the flexibility of Daniil Medvedev a little bit more, and-, and that's why I give him the edge in this one. Yeah, I think 
again, there's a reason Medvedev has won the matches the way he has. It's just because he feeds off of that power from Rublev, and he is the one person who can disrupt the Rublev strike zone uh, or get Rublev out of his strike zone because he'll hit the big first serve and then hit this funky slice that goes cross-court but then somehow loops back and goes down the line in the same shot, and it's just like... Yeah, anything, you know, when you're drawing the perfect player up to beat Andre Rublev, it's literally Daniil Medvedev, a guy with a big serve and huge shot tolerance. And if you're on, you know, if you're drawing up the player to beat Daniil Medvedev, I actually think grinders are the players that frustrate Medvedev the most because they force him to be patient. They force him to have to do a little bit more dictating, and that's when he gets a little bit slap happy sometimes, and it can lead to unforced errors. I just think there's no way in the world Andre Rublev doesn't get a set this time. Like, that's the one thing I am most sure about. But I also agree with you. I just think on a hard court, three out of five sets, physically, I just like Medvedev that hair more. I just like the various options he has. Uh, so I probably lean towards him. But again, I, if this goes, the, the thing that will surprise me the most, and I'm bet on it on our GSP Ace of the Day, is if this match ha- uh, ends in straight sets. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I think I think there is a I think there's a pretty good chance Medvedev walks out of this in three. I, I don't think it's the most likely scenario, but I, I wouldn't be terribly surprised just because he knows how to grapple with these sort of things. Now, you know, is there a world where Medvedev plays a loose game, Rublev takes advantage of it, and, and grabs a set six four? Sure, absolutely. But in my mind, I, I'm leaning. I'm leaning. Medvedev pretty heavy here and I would actually be surprised if it goes five I think it's Medvedev in three or four but hey prove me wrong because I want a blockbuster match <laughs> uh no I mean that yeah I I, I I expect it to go the distance is that your predict give me a prediction Medvedev in three or four I'm gonna hold you to it uh I'm gonna eh, hmm, it's tough I, I feel like the safer pick is four but I'm gonna say Medvedev in three I think all right, I'll di- yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I was just gonna say I think there's one set that's extraordinarily close, maybe the second set, um, and then Medvedev takes the. It, it, I think I really think this match might be defined by the second set, sort of last night with Dimitrov and Karatsev. I think it's gonna be a similar sort of thing. Um, I, I expect that second set to define a lot because if Rublev comes up with it, hey, we got a match. If Medvedev gets it, I think we're we're running away in straights if he's got the confidence for it. So I, I'm gonna take Medvedev in three. Yeah, again, it should be a very, very fun match. I'll go safe. I'll go Medvedev in four. Of course, our other quarterfinal of the day going to be Nadal taking on Tsitsipas, matchup number eight for them thus far in their career, I believe. Tsitsipas one in six, so Nadal six in one. Now, four of the seven matches have featured at least a three-set match, and you know, the last time they played at a Grand Slam, it was the 2019 semifinals. Nadal, that was one of the few occasions he did win in straight set six. 2646 love but a ton has changed since then and so you know J- uh, Jamie yeah good you know it's so funny I called you Jamie and I was like in my head I was like like it's Mike I was like wait no it's Chris and I was like no 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 it actually is Jamie so Jamie sorry I got a lot of names in my head right now Jamie you look at this matchup again four out of seven of them have gone the distance of course Rafael Nadal has made a living off of beating a slightly better version of Stefano Tsitsipas a guy with a one-handed backhand who just could never get over the lefty heavy topspin hump of Rafael Nadal 
Uh, but of course, it's a different Rafael Nadal. It's a different Stefano Tsitsipas since they played in 2019. And again, the last two matches they played were both at the Tour Finals. Both of those matches went three sets. Your thoughts on this one, Jamie? Yeah, I mean, look, Tsitsipas, being how young he is, he's definitely matured a lot in these last couple of years. I-, I do remember thinking that that match in 2019 was going to be closer than it was. Um, and Nadal came out and just completely dismantled him. Um, and, and so, look, a lot has happened since then. They've squared off many times since then. So this is to want to me. I feel more confident that this goes out of straight sets than the Rublev Medvedev one does. I, I don't know why. That's just sort of my gut feeling. But I mean, I think you have to lean Nadal here just because he knows how to win these matches. Sitsipas, yes, he's done some great things, but he's also been tested more. He's going to come in fresh, and that's a good thing for him. But Nadal has just taken care of business. So. I expect him to do the same. I'm going to take Nadal in four. That's, a, I think, a pretty good pick. I I would lean that way as well. I just think Tsitsipas will serve his way to a set, whether it's the oh, yeah. first set breaker, mm-hmm. whether it's the second set breaker. And the way he competes, he fights. He's taking a set in this match. He's played too well throughout this tournament not to. He's too well rested with the time off against Berrettini versus Nadal, who's been battling a few injuries. But... We've just seen this dynamic so many times play out. I could tell you every shot Rafael Nadal is going to hit as he's about to hit them in this match because you know his recipe against a guy like Tsitsipas. You just, you know it in your bones. And like, I think I was looking up the numbers. Rafa, every match he's played against Tsitsipas, he's won, I think it's at least like 70% of his first serve points, except for maybe one, like, of the tournament, uh, uh, one of the matches. I think it was the one that, uh, that Tsitsipas ended up winning. And so, like, yeah, the recipe is really clear for Rafael Nadal, and I expect him to execute that recipe. I think he wins in four sets. Again, I think Tsitsipas takes a set. It's not going to shock me if Tsitsipas pulls off the upset, but he has to play almost a perfect match to do it or hope it's a banged-up Rafa. Yeah, no, I, I expect four. I mean, the more I think about it, I might even go five here. But I, I think to me, here is where the really shocking one is. If this is a straight set win in either direction, that's why I'll be the most shocked. Four or five is really where I live a little bit more comfortably. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't expect this one to be straight sets either. And of course, look, we are well aware there are other matches going on right now in the tennis world. Challenger matches. There's a WTA tournament going on simultaneously in Melbourne. We're going to save those for a little bit later in the week when there are even fewer Australian Open matches to talk about. But with that in mind, Jamie, any final thoughts heading into tonight's matches? Just got to decide what I want to be eating while I'm watching. That's really the only (laughs) thing I've got left for this afternoon. For me, it's literally like, what can I eat that I will enjoy, but it will also not put me to sleep? Because, mm, like, if I, especially nowadays, last night I got home and I was like, oh, I'm going to take a quick nap and, like, then I'll get up and I'll do Ace of the Day. I'll do mini break podcast. We'll be right back on schedule. And, of course, I apologize for neither of those yesterday because I got home from Champagne negotiating those roads about 3 p.m. I did a little bit of highlight watching from, like, 3 to 4.30. Then I was asleep from 4.30 to 11.30. So sometimes that happens. I apologize about that, listeners. But nevertheless, of course, rocking and rolling from here, GSP Ace of the Days, mini breaks and every day, cracked interviews, other GSPs on the horizon as well, all of that to ensure none of you miss out on anything happening in the tennis world. Of course, a shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Shout out, as always, to the super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the 
of an ending job he does day in, day out as well. And shout out again to you, Jamie. I know Maddie Cracks helped you out as well, but sincerely, there's no one else I trust to take this mini break podcast when I am unfortunately unable to do it. And I am sincerely grateful that you are continuing to do that as well. So with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host James Foster McDonald, our super producers Fleegner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 